This episode of Magic and Hash is brought to you by The Strains Cotton Candy and Banana. They hold strong editing powers and taste fucking awesome. Consult your local dealer. one thing I like in a woman, my dick. And joining me from Castle Exile, who do we have? 
Howdy homies, it's the Gutter Guru, your prophet of pink eye and all around uh, maladies that involve with tossing the salad. Is that why my mom likes you so much? Or is that why you like my mom so much? Are you my new dad? I'm just friends with everybody, Sid. And I, I, I'm not picky. I just get in there. You owe me allowance, bitch. If you're fucking my mom, you gotta pay me allowance. Them's the rules. You gotta catch me first. And a man with a voice scientifically proven to help plants grow. Jason What's up, fuckers? Old Man Roscom here to dispense some more wisdom to all you kids this week. And if we don't talk about getting into the trials this week, I'm gonna be pissed. I mean, I guess we could talk about it, but by the time this show comes out, probably every other lame show has talked about it. But now you get to hear a cool show talk about it. We don't talk about magic cards. Did you guys see the new Rick and Morty? Yes! Oh my god, dude, they're back. It took for fucking ever for this season to start, might I add. Wasn't it supposed to start, like, maybe fall of 2016? And here it is, fully fucking spring of 2017. And we're finally getting to see the new season. Well, Dan Harmon had a few other projects. He had, like, an internet show where he's a cartoon and some other shit. So I think he just put a team on this, maybe? Or I don't know if he was as involved, but it did take a while. It really did, man. But I'm actually, like reigniting my love with Adult Swim now that we have Rick and Morty back and then have you guys been looking at the new season of Samurai Jack? That shit is fucking shell, dude. Yeah, dude, I'm super stoked about that. And they're gonna bring back Invader Zim. Got Nickelodeon, right? Or is that gonna be on Adult Swim? Yeah, it's returning on Nickelodeon. I'm just gonna go sit in my corner of shame as I have not seen any of these shows. Oh, wow, Jason, dude. So definitely, since you have kids, uh, check out Samurai Jack. I'm sure that your son, like, is he into kind of like action style, like anime stuff? Uh, maybe. I don't think I've ever seen him show interest in that kind of stuff, but you never know. Does he like the animated Star Wars? Not really. Okay, it's going to be kind of like that where it's like a lot of action like sword fighting and shit like that. So it's like the first four seasons of Samurai Jack are safe for kids. Probably like eight and over that can understand, you know, the difference between cartoons and reality. You know, maybe younger than that. Who knows? Some kids are more advanced. Some kids are less. Before you get to season five, though, you might want to watch because the show takes an entirely much darker tone in this latest season. It's changed from TV G to TV 14. You know, there's more blood and adult themes and stuff like that in this latest season. But I feel like it doesn't, like, those aspects don't make the show lose its original charm and just trippy-ass art style, dude. Like, if you watch this show, it's like tripping on acid or something. Yeah, that's a lot like Invader Zim and Rick and Morty. And Rick and Morty is just so great because it's, like, adult humor. Lick, lick, lick my balls! <laughs> yeah! Say that all the time. Down and dirty. Who cares about the thing you guys are talking about? The whole point of freezing time was to stop giving a fuck. Put a shirt on your dumb dad, and let's get this dumb universe rolling. Funny fucking jokes. Our time is going to be unstable? What does that even mean? It means relax and stop being a pussy, Morty. I, I thought you learned that by now. And it's just like the most insane animation behind it. Like crazy aliens, spaceship 
like battles and shit. It's really cool. And one thing I love about Rick and Morty is they always have stupid shit like the bad guys are like these bug things that like he'll, like lean in and like get his head blasted off and his friend will lean in and be like, oh no, he I had need to a type family. in the coordinates to our whole world, Morty. Cover me. Oh man. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to shoot nobody. They're just I robots, mean, Morty. It's okay to shoot them. They're robots. Glenn's bleeding to death! Someone call his wife and children! They're not robots, Rick! It's a figure of speech, Morty! They're bureaucrats! I don't respect them! Just keep shooting, Morty! You have no idea what prison is like here! Just like stupid shit like that, or just like the most grotesque, violent murder of a character. Don't let me die! You're not gonna die! What's your name? My name is... Like, they just walk right past it. It's so great. Now, are these shows streaming yeah. anywhere on Netflix, Hulu, anything like that? AdultSwim.com. Yeah. Right. You can get all the, you can watch all the previous seasons on Adult Swim and Hulu. Shut the fuck up about Moon Men! This isn't a musical number. This is a fucking operation. We gotta be cool and fucking lay low. Yeah, it just depends on which streaming service the Turner channels are down with at the moment. I know that there were some shows on Netflix, like Aqua Teen. This is Carl. Leave a message or, uh, or leave me alone. Either way, I don't care. Uh, unless this is Mom, in which case, uh, happy Mother's Day. And stuff like that, but it's been a while since I've been subscribed to Netflix. I'm going to get back on, though, this June when Orange is the New Black comes out again. That show is, like, such a guilty pleasure of mine. Me and my mom watch it together. It's it's great. I love that show. It's addictive. The thing is, it comes out all in one day. So you spend, like, four days just watching the whole thing, and then you're just like, oh, great, now i got to wait a whole year. Fuck. Yeah, I'm still holding that hope for another season of Arrested Development. Now the story of a wealthy family who lost everything and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. Oh, I know. That would be cool. I was somewhat disappointed in the season comeback, but I was, I was just happy it was back. It's Arrested Development. So I watched them yeah. all, loved it. Mm -hmm. This is Michael's oldest brother, so, or Job. This is the magic trick, huh? Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. Or cocaine. Job recently started the Alliance of Magicians, an organization that blackballs any performer who reveals a magician's secret. Tell me, are you still doing your little tricks? Do you consider this to be a little trick? Uh, did you just squirt me with something? This lighter fluid didn't put in a new flint. Walking now. back. They, what they do is they do like mid-season, so they'll have like six or seven episodes or eight episodes, and then they'll have another six or seven episodes, and then that'll be their season, but they'll cut it up. So it feels like you get Walking Dead every few months. Do you feel like that helps maintain interest in that show, is to have it constantly coming out with new episodes or something? Carl. 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 Come below the waves with me as we explore the riot of color and life that exists on the Carl! reefs. Carl! Reefs are only found in shallow tropical seas. They may look like colorful rocks or even plants, but Carl is really an animal.
rather than a show like Game of Thrones where you only get new episodes like once a year. See, the thing is, Game of Thrones is so epic that the hype, you can wait that long. Or, I don't know, I think I'd lose interest if I had to wait a full year for Walking Dead. It's just there's so much them just walking around and not doing bullshit where they have to have like a cliffhanger every few episodes to kind of keep you interested. Kind of like Lost. Lost was terrible. Every commercial break, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. The first three seasons were great, though. Yeah, I think like my big love affair on TV right now, just something that I can't miss, and we talked about this in previous episode, is the new Betty Davis and Joan Crawford like biodrama that they've got going on right now. The last episode I saw was the night of the Academy Awards and Betty Davis was nominated and Joan Crawford wasn't. They were in the same movie, you know, starring opposite each other. And Joan Crawford basically went around to each uh, woman that was nominated and was like, hey, I want to accept your award on your behalf. And she totally snubbed Betty Davis because Betty Davis didn't win. And then Joan Crawford got to be the one to come up and accept the award. And then she just gets home and hangs her head in shame because she knows she did a bad thing. Yes, Roscom, he's serious. This is an actual plug for a show. <laughs> hey, whatever floats your boat, man. Hey, man, I'm just like a huge Ryan Murphy, Mark. I've loved him ever since freaking Nip Tuck back in the early 2000s. And just to me, every show that he's made, be it fucking Glee, American Horror Story, and even this latest one, Betty and Joan, they're all fucking great, dude. Like, the guy just knows how to make a good television show. All right, favorite Game of Thrones character? I like the Hound. You can't kill that fucking guy. That's really tough for me, man, because it's a tie between the Lannister brothers. So you have Jamie, who started off as a dickhead, but now is turning into a good guy. And then you have Tyrion, who started off as you know, a pretty decent guy, but after all the shit he's been through, he's just turning more and more heel, man. And, like, just being a big fan of pro wrestling, to me, like, somebody turning from good to bad or bad to good has always been, like, an interesting trope to me. So it's really hard for me to pick one. But I love them Lannister brothers, man. And uh, I got to go with Marjorie Tyrell. She's fucking hot as shit, and she was super smart, worked her way into the royal family, just, uh... One little slip up at the end. Yeah, she was totally hip to what Cersei was doing. By the way, holy fuck, if nobody's seen, you know, the latest season of Game of Thrones, turn the shit off right now because we're spoiling shit. But, um, dude, she knew that Cersei was setting them up and they wouldn't let her out of the Sept of Baelor, man. They just kept everybody inside to be fucking blown to smithereens. That was shitty. Yeah. It was so great because you're like, Cersei's fucked. Like, the whole two episodes leading up, she's, like, locked in the Red Tower. And they're like, all right, she's fucking done. And then the fucking, the dude comes and, like, protects the king. And then the king kills himself or whatever and whatever. But, God, Cersei, just fucking one swoop, just takes control. So great. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up, though, because she killed her uncle. She killed her cousin. Like, some of the shit doesn't make sense. She's supposed to be, like, this woman who does anything for her family, but she ends up murdering, like, a bunch of her family members. Yeah, it's her immediate family anyway, and mostly Jamie. Like, all of her loyalty's really been to Jamie and, and just whatever power she can have, but I don't think she really gave a shit about her uncle or cousin. Well, she used to bang her cousin, so... Uh. Yeah. 
Losing the king is devastating, and that might be turmoil because they don't have a new heir to the throne. So, so she'll be queen, but then here comes the fucking dragon lady coming in on the horizon to come fucking take over King's Landing. We'll see. Damn, dude. Why didn't we make our fucking podcast about Game of Thrones rather than Magic the <laughs> Gathering? This is actually something I can talk about and sound fucking knowledgeable about because I am a Game of Thrones content junkie, dude. At night... I can't sleep unless I have, like, some kind of podcast about Game of Thrones playing in the background. I can tell you so much shit about Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire that, like, it makes my knowledge of Magic the Gathering seem, you know, elementary by comparison. But how do you know about that? Elementary, my dear Watson. This man has been dead for at least two hours. That reminds me. You mentioned magic, so, um, I'm a kid spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. I haven't looked at any of them. I was kind of hoping that we could hold off on Amonkhet spoilers until the whole set was out. But if you guys want to tell me what you're digging so far, now I have seen the new Gideon, so we can talk about him. But other than that, I don't really have anything to say in this conversation. All right, we'll get into the new Gideon, but I want to say one thing first, that there's two gods that have been spoiled, the, the red one and the blue one. The blue one just looks fucking insane. The blue one just looks fucking insane. Insane, 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 insane. It looks pretty good. Now, I've seen the red god, too. That one's the one that can't attack unless you're hellbent, right? Can't attack unless you have one or few cards in hand. And then he's got an ability where you can discard a card and do two damage to an opponent. Kevnet the Mindful, the blue one. Kevnet the Mindful, two and a blue. Flying Indestructible, five, five for three mana. You can't attack or block unless you have seven or more cards in hand. And then he has the ability for three and a blue, draw a card, and then you may return a land you control to owner's hand. Whoa! <laughs> it's pretty nice. Hmm. So obviously, oh no, uh, that doesn't sound very good, actually. Landfall. <laughs> right, Maybe so. this card's not as bad, but I don't think it's great by any stretch of the imagination. Battle for Zendikar, Oath of the Gatewatch, Shadows over Innistrad, and Elder Shmoon will cycle out quarter four of 2017. Okay, so that'll be October. So we'll have it all in standard at once. And as far as this Ketnet goes, I think he's great in any kind of draw-go control deck, but in this format, that's the question. Tireless Tracker, you have some other landfall guys that'll be really sweet. You play him on three, then turn four, you draw a card, return a land to your hand, and you have seven cards, right? Yeah, but I mean, you don't want to waste your turns three and four just to get this guy out and to try to get enough cards in your hand to attack or block with him. I think he's somebody you drop later in the game. Once you kind of have control of the game, you've got counter magic up, you got a shitload of cards in hand, and then you just kind of use this guy to finish off your opponent. Or green-blue, he's a 5-5 flying, indestructible, and then once you swing in with him, pump him with like 3-4 spells or some shit. Nah, dude, everything that you're saying about this card sounds horrible. If you're gonna play a Drago control... You wouldn't be playing with this card. You'd be playing with the new Gideon or something like that that's going to, like, give you mana-less source of card advantage every turn. And in your case, you're talking about building an infect deck with no fucking infect. 
just adding a bunch of pump spells to this thing. And I get that, like, it is cool that the gods are back, but if you remember the gods from the last time we had gods around, any creature that's all like, hey, you can't attack or block unless you've done this certain thing, isn't very good in, like, a constructive format. Literally, none of those gods are seeing play in any competitive constructive format. And even when they were legal and standard, only, like, one or two of them ever saw play. I guess it, with the old ones, you had to like look at the enchantment side, and if the enchantment was worth it, then you could play it. Whereas this one, you look at their ability, and so he it's a three-mana stone, I guess, out there that lets you draw a card and then return a land to your hand, and I don't know if that's going to be playable in a deck. The red one, discard a card, do two damage to each opponent. I like could a, see a, that a being like a sideboard card. If you're playing like Mardu, and you're playing against a really fucking just permission deck, some kind of Jund, black green, or even like a blue black control, that's a great way to just be able to pitch cards that you can't use because they can't counter that. So I could see that maybe seeing some play, but never in the main deck. But this blue one, dude, I just, I don't know. But that just doesn't seem good to me. Seems bad. They're printing some more counter spells, so it might be that you sit back, you play this guy, and then you're still countering, and then once he's cheap enough where you can play him and still leave up three mana or whatever, and then in a couple turns, you'll draw enough cards and just sit back with counter spells that you'll be able to attack with them. But you'll still be able to just play Torrential Gear Hulk, which is way better than this card, right? I mean, in that kind of deck. Because he's flash, yeah. But when he cycles out, this guy might see play. I think there's going to be a control deck, and it's going to be very frustrating to play against somebody with a full grip and you're top decking. Let's talk about the card that will actually be good in control, and that's Gideon. Yeah. I feel like people are freaking out because he's only three mana and he could do some stuff like this, but this card has got to have, like, one of the most useless ultimates I've ever seen. You think so, huh? I think it's sweet. Yeah, like, you think it's sweet. You think it's really good. I think that his other abilities are great. But that zero ultimate where you get the emblem, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem good as other Gideon ultimates have been. Right. Well, from my perspective, I'm looking at him strictly from a modern perspective, where I'm thinking about throwing him into some sort of like a black white or a blue white uh, modern mid rangey control type of deck where you have multiple iterations of Gideon in the deck along with a shitload of control spells. Um, that's kind of where I'm thinking because there's a lot of modern decks right now, specifically a lot of combo decks, that would have no way to deal with that. If you drop this guy on three and zero him to get the emblem, there are some combo decks that just kind of scratch their heads and go, oh, okay. Yeah, you have to, like, attack with creature combat to kill him or have a planeswalker removal. It's going to change kind of people's sideboards, I think, maybe, if they play him. Three mana for him is the reason he's playable. If it was four mana for that, no. But you get him out. You, you have a three loyalty planeswalker and you have an like emblem that can't be removed with an I can't lose ability on it. Sweet. Yep, and you know, that plus one ability is pretty relevant too in modern because you can target man lands with that. You can target yeah. things like Valakut as well. So it's pretty relevant. He protects himself very well. So you don't. No, I definitely think that the first two abilities are great and probably broken at three mana and this card will see play but i don't know man just just about anything in modern can get rid of a planeswalker like you can abrupt decay this 
Vince, first of all. Like, I just don't ever see you putting out that emblem and being like, LOL, I win. No, no, I mean, you still have to work for it, and there are ways to deal with this specific guy. But again, if you also add in Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, and then maybe even a couple of Gideon Jaraz to top off your curve, you know, constantly be throwing them down, incrementally gaining advantages. I don't know, I, I think it, it's worth exploring, if nothing else. I'm not saying it's... But definitely uh, a, a game changer, but I'm willing to give it a try. <laughs> so you're talking about playing a Gideon deck. Just like, so what deck are you playing? I'm playing Gideons. Wait, well, it, might, it, <laughs> it would probably be value creatures. It might be like white black, so you could have like lingering soul to just kind of protect what you're doing. So you have a bunch of flyers that can block everything and then you protect your Gideon and just go to town. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's got a lot of good possibilities in modern. Standard, I don't know. It's like you said, there's a much better Gideon in standard right now to be playing. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna be experimenting with this guy. And the blue one, guys. I know you, you guys are down on it, but how do you remove a flying indestructible five-five permanent that lets you draw cards? If you're like a control deck, isn't that kind of what you want at some point? Like that's gonna win you the advantage race. It's so hard to remove. You have to have an exile creature. So people are gonna have to start playing shit like that. If you just run this one or two of in your deck, put it out there, and you're like, now I'm just gonna be drawing when I want. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. I think it's it's only really goes in a very specific style of deck. And I just don't know if that kind of deck can exist in standard the way the format is right now. Possibly later on down the road. So say you're going card for card or whatever. And then you have like 10 mana. Then you draw this. Boom. You draw a card and you return a land to your hand. Next turn you draw a card, put a land to your hand. Like you're real close. Plus you have five cards in hand already. I mean, this guy yeah. can attack real quick. Yeah, and you know, just a... Uh real quick too that draw a card return a land that's a may on returning the land so you don't have to return the land to your hand which is pretty key because i think the first time i read this i thought it was you draw a card and you have to return a land but it's only a may so if you've got a shitload of mana to pump into this guy at the end of their turn you can use him two three times if you have that much land available yeah eventually you're going to want to attack with them so that's when you start just trying to fill up your grip i like i'm sorry you better apologize it's not good Interesting sits auto-correcting, memo from the West Wing, sits the best thing, that if it's just resting, shh, silence is a blessing, doesn't matter, sits detesting, protesting, suggesting wrestling, sounds like I'll be digesting and molesting, shout out to Nuvering. It's not good. So is Gideon just gonna be, like, is he like the new Grook? And I'm not talking about Grook ever since he turned black and green, like, I'm talking about the old green Grooks. They were all good, they were all played. And it just seems like the gate crash Gideon was pretty bad, but pretty much everyone since that has just been a house, dude. The ally Gideon, that guy's a super house. Kytheon, that guy was a terror, dude. And I'm just thinking like, is white the new kind of mid-range like Planeswalker deck color? Green used to be. It certainly seems that way. It's been pretty consistent over the last couple of years. White is pretty much the white weenie archetype, and then it has a bunch of support cards too. So, I mean, it needs a couple cards to help make that viable. If you're going to be pulling a bunch of cards into these little guys, you're going to have to have a support card to make them all better. And I think that's what Gideon was. He kind of makes the little guy strategy viable. And so white always kind of has to have something like that. But then if you just play those and then another color, that's like this. Yeah, and again, I've been leaning towards white-black a lot lately, and if we talk about what I've been playing in Modern, I'll get into that. But yeah, you've also got some more cards like Soren, a few different versions of Soren that are floating around out there. Speaking of Soren, every time that you see an article or a podcast or something about Bloodraven from Game of Thrones... You finally show me something I care about, and then you drag me away. It is beautiful beneath the sea. 
But if you stay too long, you'll drown. There's always a picture of Soren. What's up with that? That is a good question. I have no idea. I think this set is going to change up standard quite a bit. I don't think it's going to do that at all. I think it's just going to provide new support cards for Copycat, Green Black, Delirium, and Mardu. I feel like immediately after the set comes out, it's still going to be Green Black, Delirium, Copycat, and Cardu. Just the same three decks beating the fuck out of each other. I don't know. There's some cards that'll probably see play. There's these uh, cartouches. Cardouches mm -hmm. of knowledge, <laughs> solidarity, ambition, zeal, and strength. So one of every color. The blue one is sweet because you draw a card right when it comes into play. So for one in one blue, you give a creature flying and plus one plus one and it replaces itself. Since it's a cantrip, that's fucking sweet. And then black, you either put minus one, minus one on a creature, and then your creature gets plus one plus one lifelink. And that's three mana. That one's kinda iffy. White one, you get a one-one warrior. Creature gets plus one plus one at first strike. That's fucking sweet. I'd pay one for a dude and give another guy first strike, but you guy gets plus one plus one as well. I mean, that's fucking tight. The green one, three, you enchant a creature and it fights. It gets plus one plus one and trample permanently. And then the red one, you can make a creature not block this turn. It's one red and enchanted creature gets plus one plus one in haste. So you're giving something haste. I don't know. Creature enchantments typically aren't really good in any kind of constructed format. I, I mean, these are okay, but I mean, do you really see them getting any kind of standard play legitimately? I mean, that's not necessarily true. There have been creature enchantments that have seen standard play. Uh, you remember the Geist of St. Traff, like Bant Hexproof deck? Okay, but that's because... You just because... have to have the right creatures to put it with, you know? Right, and I think they've uh, made it pretty clear that Hexproof is going to be few and far between anymore. In most cases, uh, creature enchants have never been good and constructed, unless it's like a Hexproof kind of... Rancor. My favorite standard deck was Heroic. <laughs> oh, dude, Heroic was a cool deck, man. They had so many protection spells. Well, like one or two mana like protection spells, so it made it viable that way. Creature enchantments aren't really great, but this one being a cantrip for two mana, making it flying plus one plus one, I feel like you could pour through your deck and just make your creatures better. That, that one might see play. Tim, I've noticed that you think about Infect a lot. I think that Infect like broke your brain because you keep talking about these standard decks where you're targeting your creatures with enhancements rather than standard decks where you're targeting your opponent's creatures with kill spells. I like Voltron. I came back a lot during Theros and shit like that, so like, monstrousing a creature seems really cool to me, and fucking like, loading a guy up. Dude, I loved going monstrous. I had my own hand-drawn monster pants that I would put on a card to indicate that it was monstrous. I'd be like, oh, I'm putting the monster pants on, so you know what that means. It's gone monstrous. It is a lot of the wide strategies in standard, and it's going to be like the best value creature for the most efficient mana cost, and then trying to out basically card advantage your opponent. But I think there's a couple cards that might see play in sideboards, like this Prowling Serpapard. It's a cat snake that it says it can't be countered. Creature spells you control can't be countered. So it's three mana, four, three. I mean, that's great value already. Plus, it just like if you're playing one of these counter spell decks, which they're making that looks like it's going to be a viable deck. That's going to be a great card to bring. Yeah, uh, definitely seems decent. 4-3 for three, four, 3 isn't bad to begin with, and then yeah, adding that creatures can't be countered is pretty nice. So is this what we're just going to talk about for the rest of spoiler season? It's like every week we're going to get together and talk about every card that's spoiled? Because if so, I'm going to quit the show right now. <laughs>
No, most of these cards are garbage, so that really helps. <laughs> we we can go back to talking about Betty and June, but I want less. No, I just like <laughs> if we want to talk about magic, let's talk about back when magic was good, man. Let's talk about the good old days of magic, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Anastrad block constructed, man. Miracles? Who would have known? Dude, everybody was playing Jund after Lingering Souls and, um, fuck, that enchantment that gives tokens plus one plus one in Vigilance. Intangible <laughs> Virtue. Roskum, Yo. unleash a new deck list on us. Never lose with Roskum's modern bruise, knocking him down two by two, leaving him used and abused. His theories are advantageous, courageous, death for all ages, that shit looks contagious. Another miracle to witness, here's the twist. He comes to assist with persist. This deck list is so sweet, you'll need a dentist to handle this heat. Alright, well I did uh, do a little bit of brewing this week and played in a local modern tournament. I played a black-white mid-rangey kind of control list off of the back of my four newly acquired Liliana's of the Veil. Vale along with four Soren Solemn Visitor. Also threw in one Elspeth Sun's Why do you always put an E sound at the end of mid-range E? You know the E is silence, right? It's just mid-range. You don't have to say mid-range E. Right on track, he's acting like a nutsack, looping up your butt crack, you should've read your contract, it's too late to go back. He's a grammatical Nazi with an apostrophe, ending your disparity like charity, he'll make you look sloppy. I'm just glad it's not me, feel the wrath of the Swami, praise be. Yeah. It's silent. Oh wait, so you mean mid mid range ish? Yes, mid range ish. It, it smacks. It smacks of mid range. There's like notes of a range that's not the upper or the lower. It's kind of like boom, right there in the mid. All right, fine. My black white mid range deck, Sid. Oh okay. I'm sorry, so I just wanted to help you out. I didn't. <laughs> In addition to all those walkers, it's got a shitload of removal spells, four fatal pushes, four path to exiles, one anguished unmaking, a couple damnations, and all of the hand-ripping spells, thought seize, inquisition, lingering souls that we were just talking about. And then I added a few extra cards in here just to give them a shot. You guys remember Obzadak, Ghost Council? Threw one of him in there. Threw in one Blood Baron of Vizcopa, if you guys remember that. Oh, I love that card. And then the good old Grave Titan. And to top it all off, mostly due to my local meta, I also have four Relic of Progenitus in the main. Wow, spicy. He hates the graveyard decks. Yeah, they're everywhere out here too. Why wouldn't you play Lingering Souls in the sideboard then, whenever you take your relics out? Because it seems like Lingering Souls wouldn't be as good if you couldn't flash it back. I, thankfully I didn't run into that scenario last week, but I see your point. And you know, just remember, you don't have to sack it and exile everything from a graveyard. You can just hit them one card at a time also with Relic if you need to. Fair. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you can't play this deck without Lingering Souls. You play four and... up in the main, right? Lingering Souls? I mean, oh yeah, of course. I would think because you have Soren, the, 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 the combo of the lifelink is just so insane. Right. Lingering Souls was very important. It won me a, a couple of games, just going turn three Lingering Souls into turn four Soren, plus him up, give him all plus one, plus zero oh, and lifelink, and then just start swinging in. Oh yeah, no, it's fantastic. And then, of course, I played against Affinity, and this deck just completely trounced it, mostly due to Lingering Souls and all of my spot removal. It uh, did pretty well for me. I lost in the last round to a Eldrazi Tron list. It was pretty close. I killed him pretty easily game one, and then he came back and beat me in games two and three. But overall, I had a lot of fun with it. I've got some tweaks to make, but I may be rolling this for a while. Sounds sweet. Have you tried out Spectral Procession in it? Because I loves me a Spectral Procession. I have not. 
but I, I have played with that card in the past, and it's always been good for me, so I could certainly consider it. If I guess if I want to go more tokenish. Are you saying, like, replace Lingering Souls with Procession? I don't know, man. It's just something irks me about having a flashback spell if you're gonna do main deck Relic of Progenitus. Maybe you could do Cyborg Leyline of the Void, but then again, that's taken up a bunch of Cyborg slots so you probably can't afford. I like the deck. It sounds really strong, man. Did you just house anybody? Like, not even close? Well, Affinity, I crushed him two games to none. And this is a guy who beat me in previous weeks when I was playing different decks. So it was a, a nice little redemption for me. But yeah, completely killed Affinity. Like I said, it wasn't even close. Beat a control, like a Jeskai control list. Lost to a Grixis control. And then a Red, White, Nahiri control list. I like the, uh, the main deck relic. And the thing is... You basically are just trying to stop those early graveyard, like, Gorio's Vengeance type bullshit. After the game goes on a couple turns, then you play in your Lingering Souls. You don't have to worry about the relics. You can just either, once your graveyard's clear, you can pop one just to draw a card or whatever. Right. Yeah, what these Gorio's Vengeance decks are trying to do is they're trying to go off on, like, turns two or three. So if you drop your relic first and you just keep them, you know, keep them from trying to go off immediately, then you can start playing your Lingering Souls, even flash it back later before you have to pop the relics. But yeah, these Gorio's Vengeance decks, I think I told you guys last week, I lost to one guy when I had only taken my turn one and he killed me on his turn two, which is, that's fair, right? I think so. I mean, I don't want to be playing cards where I'm not doing that, so, yeah. Nah, yeah, I can hear where that's kind of a negative experience, but, you know, them's magic cards, man. It sounds like you have a lot of control in your meta, though. Is that, like, a common thing in the region where you live? Uh, yeah, yeah. The Northeast is always famous for a lot of control players, and we do have a lot of control players that play at my store. And yeah, I just happened to go against all of them this week. Yeah. I'm curious, Tim, what's the meta like in Colorado? Because the last time that I used to play at shops, I played in Texas, and there were not very many control players at all. It was mostly aggro players. So what's Colorado like? There's a ton of stores around here. A lot of people play Magic. I'd say Longmont, Boulder, Denver area, there's probably 15, 20 stores. Some competitive, some casual. When you see SCG tournament or something, you go down the shop, people are going to adjust their decks to play almost top tier decks all the time. And a lot of the people that go down to play modern, they have a card pool to kind of fuck with their decks and do whatever. And those are the guys that don't want to trade you. Oh, but I only have four of this card or whatever. And I'm like trading cards out of my standard deck to make trades because I don't give a fuck. I feel like trading helps stimulate the whole community. It helps create better decks at your shop, helps make you a better player by letting people play their top tier decks or whatever. So I mean, I feel you should trade the community. You should not hoard your cards. You know, I hate people. I don't know, man. If you've only got a play set of a certain staple though, I wouldn't be trying to come off it. It's like, yeah, I'm not playing with these, but I might someday. So, you know, like get off my dick. A lot of them isn't even staple. Like I've been trying to get these retracts for uh, Cheerios. It was a card that wasn't worth shit a while ago. And then now all of a sudden it's worth a bunch of money. Why not cash them in? You know what I mean? But it's like, I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I guess I'll just try to eBay him or whatever. But when that kid comes to me and needs some shit like that, I'm like, all right, here, I'll trade you one. And then he's like looking for an extra dollar worth of value on my binder. I'm like, this guy's chintzy. He never wants to trade shit. Why do I fucking deal with it? That's pretty much everybody out here, unfortunately. Wait, what does chintzy mean? I like that word. What is that? That sounds cool. Stingy with their money and their cards. They're always trying to get every last penny out of a trade. Whereas if it's like three or four bucks close to 
to the deal. I'm like, sure, I'm cool with it. Let's do it. I don't really give a fuck because it's usually I'm trading if I need it. I'm not trading just to like those cards for these cards. Yay. Have you ever held on to like a play set because you're like, oh, I have a feeling that this card's going to see some play because you really like it and then it never does? Yeah. Rattle Chains, when Rattle Chain came out, I bought a play set of foils of those and they went up for a little bit when, when Spirits was in standard. And I was like, this card's fucking gross. A 2-1 flying flash that like... Give, give another shit an expert or whatever. That was insane, but I didn't see any play, really. How about you, Roscom? Oh, yeah, well, I went through a period of time where I was speculating on cards quite a bit, so I'd buy up cards in anticipation of them, shooting up in price. Some of them panned out pretty well, some of them didn't. I'm still sitting on about a dozen waste knots that I'm just waiting to go up in price that they don't seem to ever want to do. Yeah, mine was the Knuckle Monkey, man, from Khans of Tarkir, Savage Knuckle Blade. I just kept trying to make that guy work and standard and i was just like you'll you'll see he's gonna be badass someday <laughs> and when collected company came out i'm like oh hell yeah man now knuckle monkey has finally found his home i'm gonna play him in this shit and then it turned out that band was just way better <laughs> the problem with savage knuckle blade is that he was a mixture of an aggressive aggro card being a three mana four four but then he was a control card because you could protect him by flashing back your hand or doing whatever um or pumping him so you wanted him as like a control finisher, but he's kind of an aggro card. So I don't think he really fit into many decks. I think you're right, man. I mean, I'm not going to say that I never got him to work, but it was obvious. Like once the metagame was fleshed out, the deck that I chose was whack. But it was so much fun when it worked. The mana was horrible, though. Problem is that set had a lot of ways to kill four toughness creatures because of ferocious and stuff like that. I think in a different standard where a 4-4 would live, like you just like plant your 4-4 like after you kind of controlled the board in their hand i think that guy would be an all-star just was the wrong circumstance that's what i thought too turns out i was wrong though don't get sucked in i'm here to warn you bro i know that some of you new players out there are looking at a savage knuckle blade and thinking this is a great card don't do it you're gonna have a bad time now what i'm saying is if they reprint him in a different standard environment he might be viable definitely not modern i don't know man i won't get fooled again it's gonna be a long time before i'll trust a savage knuckle blade again that's all i'm saying I have a speculation for a card that's been spoiled from Amonkhet that will see modern play. His name is Champion of Rowanus. Three and one grain, so four mana for a 3-3. When you exert him as it attacks, which means you make it so he can't untap during your next untap step, you can play, put a creature from your hand onto the battlefield. End of text. Oh. So that's kind well, of, uh, I don't know, attack. I guess, but you, he stays on the battlefield. You don't remove him from the battlefield at the end of the turn. You just get that creature on the battlefield. So you're going to be, you play your fucking, uh, what's the indestructible poison colossus? Just drop him out of your hand. Blight steel. Right. You drop a blight steel. You could drop a grizzle brand. Just any of those big Am dudes. Amber cool, yeah. Let's go. So how how much of the deck is just protecting this guy so he can make that one attack and protecting whatever that you lay down after well, his attack? Well, what you do is you make a green blue, you run spell piercing okay. and bullshit like that. So you're gonna be doing oh, that anyway. you could also play that new god card, right? This is your green blue deck. All right, hit us with a new deck list, Tim. <laughs> the god card won't be in there. No, but this guy is gonna be insane. You put him out on four, you attack with him on turn five and put anything you want out of your hand. But, I mean, he's he's certainly not better than Through the Breach, and having the three toughness really makes him vulnerable to all of the removal in Modern. So, I don't know. It's 
it's dicey at best. So he might be decent in standard while the Eldrazi are still in the format. I still think he's going to see play. I think the ability is too powerful where it's like you're going to be putting out a bunch of creatures and threats on one, two, and three, where they're going to be using their removal on those guys. Then you play him, and then you're like, oh, you're fucked. I know where this card will definitely see play, and that's in Commander. Your Commander! This seems like it's got Commander written all over it. Now, we may see it in Modern. I'm not going to disparage that. Like, I, I know I've been shitting on pretty much everything all day. But this is like, this is actually something that it could, it could see some play. Definitely in Commander. Like, I can't wait to put this in my uh, black-white demons deck. It is white, right? Green. It says white. Green. Ah, shit. Fuck this card. This card sucks. He's a jackal <laughs> warrior, so he looks like a little puppy thing. And he's jumping into a temple, and then behind him, this big, like, serpent thing's coming over the wall. Oh. It sounds like there's some badass artwork in this set. I hope there will be some good cards in it eventually, too. <laughs> Yeah. There was a new Liliana spoiled. She's okay. All right. Let's talk about the new Liliana now. I hate you guys. (laughs) This will be the last one. Okay. All right. So, yeah, we had Liliana's Death's Majesty. And she's three black black. She starts off with five loyalty. You plus her, you get a 2-2 zombie, and you mill the top two cards of your library. Then your minus three is return any creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's now a black zombie in addition to its other types. And then her ultimate minus seven, destroy all non-zombie creatures. So I don't Damn. see her get yeah, no eternal play, but she's definitely got standard written all over. She protects herself with her plus one, and then she also fills your graveyard with fuel for her minus three. The minus seven is kind of meh, but her first two abilities are great. It's a shame she costs five. Well, she costs five, but then you get any creature you want to the battlefield from the graveyard. You have protection. She protects herself with her minus three, so she comes out minus right away, and she's got, like, a bruiser in front of her. It's sweet. I love it. This is going to be a sweet-ass cube planeswalker, I feel like. Like, this this is a sweet card. Oh, yeah. She'll be a house in London. I think as I record this show, I get more and more stoned, and I'm starting to warm up to these bad cards now. <laughs> well, Sid, it's like you don't have people that are raw rawing about magic around you, so when you come on with us, you're like, oh, hey, magic is kind of cool. It is. It's fun. You should get out there. And I miss playing out. magic, y'all. I can't wait to get my fucking computer repaired. I just don't like going down to the shop here in Roanoke, man. Can I, can I like, vent about something for a little while? Are you talking about the SCG from Roanoke City? Yes. Star City Games, all the hottest names, seeking acclaim, repping brand name, adjusting your mind frame will never be the same. This one is for it all. Epic collisions, titans imprisoned, mental precision, and the art of the decision. Never retreat, die before defeat, you must compete. A throne to unseat on the road to victory, never fear your chances here. Magic and Hash needs your cash. Go to www.patreon.com backslash magic and hash and donate now. A dollar a month could really make a difference. Thanks. We love you. Game, match, and championship. Yes, yes, that's what I'm talking about. When I go down there, it's just like everybody's way too serious. And I don't, 
want to go down and play competitive magic. You know, I'm a commander dude. You know, let's play some four-pack sealed. Let's play some magic to have some fun. I don't care if I win any prizes. I mean, I still like to win. Sure. You know, Stupid to get butthurt over a game that you didn't have to pay any money to play. Yes, you had to buy your deck, but you don't have to, like, do an entry fee. There's nothing on the line. We're just chilling, being bros. But somehow, everybody's just so focused there on winning, they're getting butthurt when I get a sweet draw. And they start yelling at each other. They're like, why didn't you kill his Nekusar? And I just... I don't feel comfortable with that shit, man. I like to hang out with my bros where nobody's gonna act like a butthurt baby when they lose, you know? Yeah, and you know, it's funny, too, that you mentioned that because that's one of the reasons why I kind of took a year off last year was because I did find myself starting to get too serious even at these local events where I was getting pissed off when I lost and I'm just like, this isn't fun anymore. And my philosophy has completely changed since I've been back, especially since I've been playing these modern events because... Even though I'm not winning with these new brews, I'm having a lot of fun, and I'm just hanging out, and I'm just there to play and not crush everybody's dreams and have that whole mindset where I have to win or I'm going to be pissed off. Ew! You guys are filthy casuals. Gross. Ugh. No, really. Hop Store, you know, the Great Hop. Check out the Great Hop on Twitch. It's called Game Heroes in Denver, and that's the most competitive store around here, but you can go to a store five, ten minutes away, and it'll be more of a casual feel where everyone's showing up to FNM like, hey, how's it going? How was your weekend? Whatever. And, people, you know, they bring in their son or whatever to the store. And it's more casual. But if you want to be competitive, you go to tournaments there on the weekend. You know, you play against those kids. It sounds like you don't have options for stores, Sid, in Virginia. I don't. There's no other Magic the Gathering store within 50 miles because I'm pretty sure that the biggest Magic store in the world in the kind of market I live in is just going to put them out of business, man. There's no way any store around here could compete with something like that. That being said, I haven't really reached out to my local community that much. I just had a few bad experiences going there to try to play casual magic. Like, you know, if we're just going for pre-release or commander or something like that, you don't have to be so freaking serious. You know, I've told the story about Nick Miller before, like, trying to coach me on how to be a better player. And I'm like, bro, it's two o'clock in the morning. Like, I don't need your help. I'm just here to have a good time. I see where he was coming from. Maybe he thought that I was like a new guy and that I was really striving to, you know, get into the competitive scene and wanted to be an awesome magic player. But no, it was just kind of a shitty thing for him to do. I was like, okay, well, fuck you. I'm gonna go smoke a cigarette now. Hey, big time, dude. If I had a place or a community that was not so freaking competitive and driven to try to get value out of playing magic other than just being able to relax and have some fun that i'd probably be more apt to play paper cards because i have paper commander decks they're sweet but i just don't so i have to play online and without my computer right now man i just can't play and it's killing me i think colorado just has a huge magic scene because a lot of the places around here are casual stores so when i started i almost got frustrated going down there and having to explain cards to people and shit where as you guys seems like you're forced to go to a competitive environment where that's kind of terrible you know i mean who wants to learn to play magic if you go to a store with all these people who are trying to kick your teeth in every time 
Seriously. And then if they don't kick your teeth in, they're just kind of looking at you like, well, what the fuck? How could I lose to you? You're just, you know, a casual. And it's just like, well, bro, like, I know how to play magic. I might just be a casual dude and I'm not trying to be a tournament player, but I probably play magic just as good as you. Right. Because, yeah, then the excuses start flying. Well, oh, you just got a good draw or, oh, I, I drew five lands in a row. And that's the only reason why you won. That shit really like, oh, my deck is just sweet because I built it myself and I love it rather than, you know, copying it off the internet. Yeah. Who does that for a commander deck anyways? That's another thing that completely sucks about going to those big competitive shops is you're going to net deck your commander deck. That's so fucked up. That's like getting a Russian mail order bride or something. Well, what I did, I didn't net deck completely, but I looked up online for ideas. And then once I got a commander and some support cards and shit, and went with a theme. Every time a new set comes out, I throw a bunch of new cards in my commander deck and trade out shit. Yeah, yeah there's wrong no with problem some with ideas. that, going, getting some ideas. Yeah, but no, like, these guys, you could tell whenever you're playing against a big table and somebody has the same two commanders and it seems like they have all of the same cards as well. So, for example, there's a Aloro Ancient Ascetic deck. Aloro Ageless Ascetic, three white, blue, black for a four, five legendary giant soldier. At the beginning of your upkeep, you gain two life. Whenever you gain life, you may pay one. If you do, draw a card and each opponent loses one life. At the beginning of your upkeep, if a Loro Ageless Ascetic is in your command zone, you gain two life. Busted. I noticed one time when I was there, I played in two different pods, and two different guys had that exact same deck. They almost won in the exact same way each game, too. And I'm just like, oh, okay. It's like the blood and bond combo, the... Yeah, well, that guy's, I think he's banned in competitive play now. Dual commander, whatever that means. Oloro. He's just too broken. He goes with too many different combos. Yeah, which it's cool to put a combo. Like, I try to put an infinite combo in every one of my commander decks, but I'll build my deck to insist that my combo goes off. He also banned the Prophet of Crufix from Theros, which untapped your permanence. There was too many combos there. You could take unlimited turns. It's not only that you can untap all of your permanence during each other player's untap step, but also all of your creature cards have flash. So you could wait until the entire table was tapped out and combo off. And mind you, these are just for competitive rules. If you play with your friends at home, I mean, you can play with any card you want, but... If you play with your friends at home and you're playing... Profit of Crufix fucking infinite combo, you're a shitty friend and probably <laughs> deserve to be a fucking internet virgin that dies alone. Hey, come on, what I do with my friends is my business, but I, <laughs> I, I don't want to kid you guys. I net deck like a motherfucker. My commander deck is so broken. I'm just like, get you, get you. We get know, you. Tim. And then how do you feel when the homebrew guy just fucking stomps your face? I tell him I hate commander. I and I, and I tip How does that? Fuck! You're kidding! Judge, judge. Fuck! Fuck you! Fuck you! How does that make you feel? <laughs> when the homebrew guy just fucking mollywops you. You're just like, this is bullshit. This deck isn't fucking proven. No, I just, I, I don't really have much interest to do casual formats. So when I go down the shop, I'll have my commander deck, my standard and modern or whatever. And in between rounds, I'll probably just play modern or go out and puff. I, I don't have time to be like, all right, I don't show up there an hour early. 
because I'm usually picking up my daughter and, and dropping her somewhere else so I don't have to watch her, you know? And then, um, and then... You spend time with your kids? Rookie mistake, I know. I know, Morocco. Jesus. Do you just save up all your quarters all week and then just drop her off at the bowling alley? Just be like, here, take these quarters, honey. I'll be back in a few hours. Daddy's gonna go play cards. Yeah, the discount arcade, where all the video games are from, like, the 90s, but it's, like, 20 bucks for a day. It's awesome. Bro, you know that with the way millennials are now, if there was a place full of fucking 90s arcade games, it would cost way more than $20 a day. You'd go through $20 in, like, fucking 15 minutes, probably. Nah, you gotta go to the early 2000s. That's when all the shitty arcade games came out. Like, Hydro Thunder. God, that game was terrible, dude. But it had that cool vibrating seat, which made me feel really. That was the worst part. <laughs> that fucking. If you if you're any good at it, and say you got to play like three or four free races because you're coming in first place, by the time you get off of that, your fucking taint, balls, and butt crack are just so numb that you probably won't be able to get a boner for like the rest of the week after that. I don't know. That's that's I, the game that all the women were playing, so that's why I always played it. I always brought a towel because I always had to wipe down the seat after the the girls got up. I was like, nice. Yeah, I always thought that the fish smell was to make it more realistic, like a jet ski, but now uh, things are starting to make sense. Hydro Thunder! This is gonna be cool! <laughs> Anything to stop talking about fucking Amiket spoilers, man. Cruising USA. Cruising USA, you could like slam the gas twice and your car would like do like a fucking wheelie and you're like, oh, this game's awesome. Yeah, that was like one of those games that was even better in the home version than it was in the arcade version. Like, I remember when the arcade version came out, they're like, this game is coming soon to the Nintendo Ultra 64. But it turned out that the Ultra was causing some problems, so they just made a regular Nintendo 64. And uh, without the Ultraness, they were able to get rid of the gimmick of having a steering wheel and actually make a game that responded like a um, normal vehicle rather than some kind of crazy three-wheeled popcorn or roller bullshit. Right, so they had that for 25 cents at the arcade, and then for a dollar you could play Rush. And Rush was insane. You'd go like 200 miles an hour and you could like barely turn your fucking car and like you'd hit a wall and just explode. And like the whole fucking shit would shake and shit. It was a cool fucking game. Was that Rush in the year 2029? It was Rush, San Francisco 2049, and it was awesome. I want to know if that game accurately predicts the future. Like, will there be crazy-ass races going on all the time? So I'm trying to find out. The graphics on the car were amazing, but everything else looked terrible because it had to be flying by at 200 miles an hour. So hopefully architecture in the future isn't just big square blocks that when you crash into, you explode. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is the greatest skateboarding game ever, but the worst skateboarding game ever is Street Skater, which was the fucking arcade game where you actually had to stand on a skateboard. All right, select the event you win. Skating session. Now select the skater who performed your tricks.
Yeah, it was actually called Top Skater, and that game was stupid as fuck. In the preview video, it showed the skater doing all sorts of tricks and stuff, but then when you hop on it, they made the courses so tough where you're like, curving left, leaning hard as hard as, oh, missed another ramp. All right, moving left, oh, missed a ramp, oh, moving, missed a ramp, and then eventually you like ollie off one and then do like a kickflip. It, it just was a waste of a dollar. And they would put it at the skating rink, and you'd have to go to the locker and get your shoes out, because if you tried to stand on the skateboard in your roller skates, there was a high chance of a fatality occurring. Yeah, and then about a year later, that game would be all busted and it wouldn't even work, but they'd still have it there, and people would be putting money into it. So it's about time to wrap it up. Jason, you want to just add something before we go? Yeah. Before we close out, I just want to ask Sid one question. Since we talked about it a little bit last week, uh, what do you think of WrestleMania? All right, man. You know what? I think it was pretty damn good. It's the best one that I've seen probably since the Attitude Era. Like WrestleMania 17, something like that. Um, it was really fucking long, though, yeah. which made it kind of hard to watch. But if you go back and, like, rewatch it in fragments, it's really great, dude. Like, there's very few matches that were bad on it. Yeah, I thought it started you know. out real hot. Like, the first half, I was I was really engrossed. I really liked it. I actually liked the first women's match, too, even though my girl Charlotte didn't win. I thought that one was really good. Um, I was kind of pissed that Bray didn't go over and that they gave the win to fucking Orton again. There was more wrong with that match than Bray Wyatt not winning. Like, oh my god, okay, rant time. His fucking (laughs) Satan powers was making the house lights go down and projection pictures of insects go on the ring. Like, why couldn't it be that he just sold no-sold the RKO like once or twice? Like, that would have been ten times more effective than that shit show of I'm going to lean back and then we're going to put pictures of bugs on the ring. Like, that was fucking stupid. Yeah, that was pretty dumb. But I think that was all part of their whole production with the with the ramp and everything else. Them trying to do stuff with uh, you know, projecting colors and all this crazy shit that had nothing to do with the matches themselves. But yeah, I, I was not a fan of the way that match played out. Yeah, the lead up to this match is all like... Randy, I have what it takes to defeat you because I have Satan powers imbued on me by the ashes of my sister, my dead sister in the house that you burned down. And he like rubs himself with ashes and he's all intense and scary. And then you finally get to the match and he just gets taken down like a bitch with an RKO. Yeah. And all he did was make pictures go on the ring. Like if he if we would have just skipped the whole pictures thing and Randy Orton would have hit Bray Wyatt with the RKO and he would have just popped right up like that would have made people go fucking nuts and Randy Orton still could have won after that but that moment right there of like just Bray completely no selling the RKO that would have been a huge fucking pop and probably like what could be considered a Wrestlemania moment I have a feeling that they're gonna try to sweep that match under the rug but I don't want to end the WrestleMania talk on a down note. I want to end it on an up note, which was the motherfucking return of the Hardys. Yeah. They're not broken, it doesn't look like, but that was huge, bro. The Hardy boys are back. They're the Raw Tag Champions. Uh, that ladder match was sick. Dude, I love ladder matches. I wish my life was a ladder match. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it was great. It was good seeing them again. And the pop that they got when they came out was definitely the pop of the night. The, the Dude, crowd was so hot at that point. It wasn't even just the crowd. You can hear that shit all around the world. Every wrestling mark just squeaking and blotting all over the place. Like, I know in my neighborhood, I heard a bunch of Marky squeaks. Nice. That's for sure. Squeak, squeak. No, this like, it's like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Sid, where can we find you? All right, motherfuckers. You can't find me on Facebook. If you hit me up on Facebook, I'm going to ignore you. Unless it's on the Magic and Hash Facebook group. That's the only place on Facebook worth looking at and worth my time. Oh, and the DDPY Yoga Facebook group. But I doubt you're on there. So if you have any inquiries and you want to get at me personally, this is the best way to do it. Go on Twitter, man. At the Sidmeister. If you tweet at me... And I know that you're a bro and not some robot trying to give me porn. I'm going to holler back at you. But fuck Facebook, man. Y'all always on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. If y'all on Facebook all the time, turn Facebook off and follow my ass on Twitter. I suggest you check out Sid's Twitter. It's awesome. So, and also, patreon.com slash magicandhash. You get early access to the episodes. We got a huge episode coming up pretty soon. The 2-5. We're going to do something special for that, you know. And you could be the first motherfucker to hear it. Because you could get it a day before all these other marks that won't give us any duggets and just listen to our shit for free. Which, thank you for listening to our free shit. But give us some duggets, man. I'm try- I got to get my computer fixed so I can play Magic again. Also, the best way we grow is through word of mouth. Tell your friends about our awesome shit. Jason Roscom, where can we find you? <laughs> well, if you're not an SJW or if you're an SJW and you like being pissed off all day, you can follow me at Roscom76 on Twitter. You can also follow the Project VCR podcast. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram account, Project underscore VCR. We're on iTunes and everywhere else you can find a podcast. Uh, and otherwise, you can find me in the Magic and Hash Facebook group. Check out Uncle Terry's Yoga at UncleTerry'sYoga.org. Fuck yeah, Kamakola. Kamakola's life. Everybody's always talking about water. Water's lame as fuck. Fuck water. Fish fucking water. You know it's never fucked in? Kamakola. Because if you were to fuck in the ingredients separately, your skin would melt off. And if you put it all together and fill up a bathtub with it, you can fuck it if you want. Just don't go inside a sewer afterwards. Kamakola's the most fantabulous, energetic, fantastic, incredible thing you've ever drinking. Also, it helps with adding hydrina. You know, you get a, a chick hyped up, throw some hydrina in there, she can't even taste it because it'll eat right through that pill. Nobody's business. Jason Rouse. I got nothing. All right. Hit us up with all your inquiries at magicandash at gmail.com. Tim Kempter on Facebook, magic underscore Timmy on Twitter. Hit us up. We'll add you to our Facebook group. Send us all your hate mail at sidshatemail at gmail.com. We'll read it on the air if it's funny, and we'll read it on the air if it's not. Thanks for getting blitzed with us. Peace out. Yeah.